letter thirteen of the outcast by william winwood reed this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine letter thirteen when i awoke from sleep a sleep as i thought of many dreams i was in the room where margaret had died but her body was not there the sun was shining brightly the window was open and the air that came in was balmy and warm i sat up and looked out there was no snow on the ground flowers were blooming in a box on the sill and a lark was singing in a cage fastened to the wall outside this i could not understand besides i was lying in a bed placed under the window how had it come there i glanced round the room it was furnished there was a plain deal table and several rush-bottomed chairs and cups and saucers dishes and plates and shelves and a kitchen dresser and signs of cooking in the grate i lay back in bed and tried to collect my thoughts the door opened and two young women came in if you please said i hark sal he speaks said one of them lord i feel most afraid oh you fool said the other and coming towards me she drew a chair up to the bedside well sir she said where is margaret i asked she was buried long ago said the girl long ago it was only last night that it happened how can you talk to me like that hush hush she said in a soft soothing voice listen to me while i tell you that was three months gone by and all that time you've been very ill then it was winter cold snowy winter don't you remember and now it is the spring feel the warm air coming in at the window hear the lark singing smell the sweet flowers see the blue sky then those were not dreams after all those days and nights that had followed one another those voices i had seen those voices i had heard where is she buried i asked she held up her finger you must not speak of that or your illness will come back tell me then who are you i said and who is that girl over there we belong to him as brought you here she is my sister and we live in this and in another room but now you're well you shall have this one to yourself i believe said i that you have saved my life her eyes became full of tenderness yes she said i have saved your life then she put her hand in her pocket the parson gave me this for you as soon as you got well it was a new testament but i cannot read said i try it said she smiling i opened and read without difficulty my sight was restored one malady had destroyed the other i uttered an exclamation of delight at the same moment the other girl who had gone out of the room a few moments before brought you in very nicely dressed and your golden hair carefully combed out kiss your papa ellie said the girl named sarah he knows you now then as she turned to go she said if you think you owe me anything please do not fret yourself ill and ask me no questions about myself or my sister in a few days i was able to walk about and tried to obtain some employment but my appearance did not recommend me for i was in rags and my toes protruded from my boots however i called upon a law stationer who was attracted rather than repelled by my evident poverty this worthy man as his shopman afterwards informed me employed by preference persons in a state of utter destitution as he usually found them not only grateful for his kindness but also willing to work on very moderate terms having inspected my calligraphy i had learned to write clerk's hand he feared it would not do 
but just as i was going from the shop called me back and offered to pay me so much a folio half the regulation price which i accepted gladly enough i wrote to jansen and haines and said that my eyesight being now perfectly restored i hoped they would allow me to resume my connection with the firm i gave the law stationers as an address and the publishers replied by return of post that they had made arrangements with another gentleman in respect to the classical dictionary but as soon as they had an opportunity they would gladly avail themselves of my valuable services and would lose no time in communicating with me no one would tell me where margaret was buried for they feared it might cause a relapse if i went to her grave and i never found it out for we changed our name when we went to live at the thief's house margaret was buried under the name we had assumed and i could not remember it after my illness on the day of my recovery i told sarah that my name was mordaunt and this trifling circumstance shaped out my future destiny by giving a clue to those who were in search i will tell you a strange thing my illness caused by the passion of grief had swallowed up and absorbed that grief to itself i did not mourn for margaret and almost rejoiced that she was taken from a life so full of suffering and pain now the object of my life was to save you from such trials as she had undergone i would work hard and restore you to that position in which your parents had been born the day after i received the letter from jansen and haines as i was standing near the door of the house three whistles sounded or rather shrieked in the street outside at once there was great commotion in the court several men dashed into their houses and then emerging through the skylights ran nimbly over the roofs those who were not frightened were inquisitive and crowded to the windows and doors the cause of all this stir was a middle-aged man with a fresh-coloured face and yellowish whiskers streaked with grey as he came into the court an old man who had probably retired from business went up to him and said is anybody wanted no said the other private inquiry then he glanced at my face and gave me a letter addressed edward mordaunt esq that is for you sir i think said he this letter was from my father's lawyer who informed me that mr mordaunt was travelling abroad when my wife's letter was written he replied to it when he came back and as we had changed our address his reply was returned by the dead letter post office mr mordaunt had then instructed him the lawyer to find out where i was but all inquiries had failed till at last a detective had heard of a person named mordaunt living in the thieves quarter whitechapel and ascertained that the person in question was a gentleman by birth and answered to my description mr mordaunt on receiving this information was grieved but not surprised to find that my infidel opinions had led me to adopt a career of crime and that having defied the laws of god i should now set myself in opposition to the laws of man in order to save a soul from perdition he was willing to adopt his grandchild on the understanding that i made no attempt to see her again and so long as i adhered to this condition he would pay me an annuity equal to that which i had squandered i said that i would consider the matter and send a reply in a few days i felt it was my duty to think of nothing else but your own welfare and happiness i should endeavour to silence my affection for you since that affection would be a vice if it persuaded me to sacrifice your future in my hands was your fate what a terrible responsibility if i could earn for myself a respectable position you would i thought have a happier childhood and grow up a better woman 
than if educated by that austere old man but was it in my power to escape from this kennel of crime that morning the state of my eyes had given me cause for alarm and in my weak state of health overwork might soon set them wrong again breathing a pestiferous air living on insufficient food it was not likely that i should regain my full strength and without it i was doomed to remain in my prison-house before i went free i had debts to pay debts which would never be claimed and could never be forgotten after much thought i came to this determination the next morning i would call upon the publishers and tell them how i was situated and ask them for pity's sake to give me a helping hand not in the way of charity but of employment if they refused then you should go and though i feared your life would not be a happy one at least you would not be brought up in a den of thieves i obtained on hire a suit of black clothes which though threadbare and worm-eaten were better than the rags i usually wore as i stooped down to kiss you before i left the house i could not refrain from tears oh my beloved child i said they will take you from me and i shall never see you again they will tell you that i am a wicked man and teach you to hate and despise me my darling it is hard to give you up but i must i must if it is for your good the tears rolled down my cheeks and you took out your little handkerchief and wiped them away i put on my hat then you said you would go too and without waiting for an answer put on your things and thrust your hand into mine and why thought i should i not take her it may be our last day together so off we went through alleys and byways into the whitechapel road and past the bank towards st paul's it was a bright sunny morning and the streets i thought were even more crowded than usual many a hard-featured man of business turned back to look at the pretty girl perched upon my arm her blue eyes bright with excitement her hair shining like gold in the sun i entered the well-known shop in paternoster row and said i wished to see mr haynes on particular business the clerk gave a start of recognition then coldly said he feared mr haynes was out but would go and see my heart sank perhaps i might not be able to obtain an interview at that moment i saw the bishop of t at the other end of the shop turning over the pages of a new book i felt my lips quiver you observed it and said in a clear shrill voice do not cry again dear papa do not cry again the bishop looked up from his book and then bending over the counter asked the question of the clerk i heard the words poor scholar used to do work for the firm the bishop came towards me with a face full of benevolence and compassion when our eyes met he cried what do i see mr mordaunt yes my lord i replied i am that unfortunate man he took me by the hand and pressing it kindly in his led me to the chair where he had been seated but the clerk with an obsequious bow showed us into an office like an old-fashioned pew a kind of box with wooden sides and a railing round the top inside a desk and two stools i told the good bishop all that had happened since i left stillbrook he listened attentively to my narrative and said wait here a little while and i will see mr haynes i am sure he will give you something to do then having paused for a moment he said understand mr mordaunt i do not sympathize with your opinions they are most hateful to me but your distress he put his hand to his heart and said it has gone in here he stooped down and kissed you and hurried from the office 
that was the last time we met for in after days he always avoided me and i did not force myself upon him but often i have gone to the house of lords to have the pleasure of looking on the face of my dear benefactor in a quarter of an hour i was called up to mr haynes's room he appeared rather confused but i did not think him to blame for his answer to my last letter a publisher's is a house of business not a charitable institution mr mordaunt he said his lordship has just asked me to provide you with some literary work and i am happy to say that it is in my power to do so we have been commissioned by a client of ours who is something of a connoisseur in the classics to bring out an edition of thucydides with critical notes he wishes it put into good hands and the bishop assures us that you have the requisite scholarship besides we know that you took a first class at oxford a fact which speaks for itself the editor is to receive three hundred pounds and here handing me a cheque is a hundred in advance but we make this stipulation that you go into the country for the full space of three months and take a complete rest that your system may recover its tone it is easy to see that you are still far from being well and if you begin work too soon we shall have the old trouble over again so we make this condition on behalf of our client at the end of three months we shall expect you to return and prepare the work for the following book season and now i wish you a pleasant holiday and shall be glad to hear how you are getting on whenever you are able to write me a line it was of course easy enough to understand whence came this shower of gold but i did not trouble the bishop with a letter of thanks i thought that the best way of showing my gratitude was to follow his instructions and to edit the work in such a manner as to give him satisfaction having cashed the cheque i went back with you to the court in whitechapel sarah was seated by the fire in my room cooking our dinner i told her i was going and had come back with ellen to wish her good-bye at the same time i gave her some money to repay her for what she had spent during my illness and also wrote down an address to which she could apply whenever she was in need of any more she took the notes with an air of indifference and thrust them into the bosom of her dress sarah said i you saved me from death and now i can save you from something as bad will you come with me and take care of ellie and be a good girl her eyes brightened for a moment then she turned to the fire no said she i mustn't leave jem it's only me keeps him from the drink she would not speak another word or even shake hands and when you kissed her she turned her head impatiently aside ah who can understand a woman's heart who could tell by that cold set face what feelings were surging in her bosom i have not said much about this girl for there was bad in her as well as good as many a robbed half-murdered sailor had discovered to his cost and i knew that any attempt to reclaim her would probably fail but i also knew she would never do you any harm that i could judge of from the past i have not described her character in full nor have i described in full the horrible life of that whitechapel court but i have shown for it was my duty in justice and gratitude to show that even in that sink of iniquity even amongst those degraded and ferocious beings there were hearts full of compassion and eager to succour the distressed that same afternoon i bought from the clothesman a suit of the most gentlemanly garments he possessed they had rather a marine aspect but that did not so much matter as we were going to the seaside i redeemed my mother's ring and some trifles that had belonged to margaret 
and bought back some of my books dear old companions and friends which had not been disposed of i also had you dressed out like a fine little lady and started for limmerleigh that same afternoon thus ended the days of my adversity end of letter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine